Yes, all right, we're going through the book of Daniel, the exciting book of Daniel, and we're titling it Unshakable. So this, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 5 today in just a moment, but let me ask you a question first, and this, that is, are you an optimist or a pessimist? <laughs> um, I, there's all kinds of sayings out there and, and uh, jokes about this, but uh, one little quote that I read was very good, optimists hope that we live in the best world. Pessimists fear that this is actually the case. <laughs> I take your minute to get there. <laughs> you know, I, myself, thinking about myself, I'm, I think typically I'm a pretty half, or uh, glasses half full kind of a person, uh, generally speaking. I personally would rather just focus on the good stuff around me and ignore the bad stuff. And because we, we do, we all know there is good happening around. We, sometimes you have to look for it, but there is, there is good. And the, truly, the mercy of God is seen every day in this world. It's of the mercy of God that we're not consumed every day. So it is, there is mercy. Just, just to give us a beautiful morning like this, that's a mercy of God. But, but this morning, as a Bible-believing Christian who believes fully, 100%, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, I also understand that there are times where we, as believers and as preachers and teachers of the Word, that we have to call out evil in our generation. That what we see, and we have to warn our generation, that there is a judgment coming. That's just the truth. Repentance from sin is still an important doctrine, and it's still in the Bible. You know, we can't always be like the TV preachers that uh, happy, happy, happy all the time. (laughs) Although there is a part of me, I got to tell you, that I would like to do that. I would rather just do that. But we we do need. I think it's very important, and I hope we'll understand this as I go through. But we need a healthy focus on the coming judgment. On this earth. We need a healthy focus on that. You know, Daniel was like that. He lived his life in peace with people. I'm sure he enjoyed the good, the mercy of God. He enjoyed the good things that God had allowed. But when it was time for him to speak God's truth, when the moments came that he had to confront or say something that was true, he did so. And he did it with boldness and and courage. Sometimes I think we've We've been called, we are called to be like Daniel. We're called to be like Daniel as an interpreter of the times, as an interpreter of what's happening right now in the world to people who don't quite understand it. Here's the problem. Sometimes, though, it feels like uh, nobody's listening. Have you ever felt like that? The people at work, the people in your family, the people just around you, nobody's listening to God. And we're hitting our head against the wall. Why? Generally, and a lot of times, I think this is the case in America, and that is because people are living the life of ease, they're living a life of wealth, they're living a life of pleasure, and that is their God. And so who wants to surrender to their life to God when you already have everything you want? You have all the money, you, I, you know, I'm doing good, I'm just going to focus on that, I'm, I, have, I live a pretty good life, I have a lot of pleasure, what's the point? Today's lesson reminds us that the handwriting is on the wall. The handwriting is on the wall for people and Judgment Day is coming. And if there was a title 
for today that I could put on it, it is that. It is America. Judgment is at the door. And at the end of the lesson today, I really just hope that we're all reminded really to just live with a greater awareness that there is an end. There is an end to all of this. And it could happen at any time, but there is an end. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. And, but before we get deep into it, I have to give some quick history, okay? Because the beginning of the chapter, all of a sudden, it starts abruptly with a brand new king in Babylon. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, we, we see Daniel interacting with King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar dealing with uh, the, in the fiery furnace. It's all about King Nebuchadnezzar, an amazing king. But then all of a sudden, boom, we just have a brand new king in this next chapter. And that's because the book of Daniel is not a history book about the history of Babylon. That's not the purpose of that book. It was written so that people, God's people, would be encouraged that God is at work no matter what the circumstance, no matter who the king is. And he, God wanted his people, the Jewish people, and then anybody who would ever read his, uh, the book of Daniel to understand God is at work. God is the king. He's the one who sets up kings, and, and he's the one who's uh, sovereign over all and gives the kingdom to whomsoever he will. So here's the political turnover in Babylon. I want you to see this real quick. Uh, we're just going to run through this. Nebuchadnezzar, he reigns 43 years in the Babylonian Empire. He builds it to this incredible place. We talked about the magnificence of his uh, his castle and his palace and then also the walls themselves double sets of walls two double sets of walls just an an incredibly gorgeous and secure place then after him his son reigned uh, evil merodach reigned for two years because uh the his brother-in-law a the husband of uh, merodach's sister killed him and he murdered him and took the throne, and then he reigned four years. After him, his son reigned for only two months because Nabonidus, who was also a son-in-law to Nebuchadnezzar, meaning Nebuchadnezzar's daughter married uh, this man, he killed Labashi Marduk, and he reigned for 17 years. So you thought your, your family had issues, well, me, okay? At least there's not a bunch of murder going on. Hopefully. Um, then, while Nabonidus is king, he, and nobody knows exactly the reason, but there's all kinds of different conjecture. But one of, the re, one of the people say, well, because he was away fighting a lot, or it's because he was, Nabonidus was uh, really focused on one of their particular gods, and the spiritual people in Babylon didn't care for that, and so they kind of ousted him or pushed him to the side. We do know that Nabonidus, though, lived in a a different place. And so he was kind of reigning. He was still in charge, but he was kind of living in a different area of the Babylonian Empire. His son, Belshazzar, became the co-regent with him. So he, father and son, now are reigning together. Belshazzar, though, dwelt in Babylon. He's the one sort of running the show. And in 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire fell. Now, Daniel, and that's, it was under Belshazzar. Daniel had been serving in Babylon ever since the very beginning. So if he came in as a teenager, we're now talking that at this time, at the reign of Belshazzar, Daniel, he's been there for 60 plus years. He's 70, in his 70s, 80s uh, right now uh, with Belshazzar. 
So that's where we are in the story. We, all, we, we zoomed past all these people, and now we're talking about a brand new king, Belshazzar, in 539 B.C., and that is the date, that is the year that we're, we're entering into in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. All right, so let's get to know a little bit more about this king. Verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. All right, so we start out the chapter, this huge drunken party. Thousands of people. This is a huge party. The wealthy Babylonians and uh, the wealthy King Belshazzar, they're used to big drunken parties, but this one is unique. The reason this one is unique because of the timing. The enemies, their enemies, the Medes and the Persians, are right outside the gate of the city that very night. They've been trying to siege Babylon, but because Babylon is so strong, the walls are so mighty, and there's a river that runs right through, they ha- and they have stockpiles of food, they are not worried. Belshazzar is not worried about this enemy that's at the door. We have plenty of food. We have plenty of water. We're secure. Our walls are secure. They cannot get in. And so maybe to boost the morale of the people or just to show that he's not scared of anything, he throws this big party. And thousands of people are there. And this is what I want to bring out real quick as we begin. Belshazzar, as we go through, I want us to think that Belshazzar represents America. Represents the people we know in America. Represents us sometimes. The American dream is all about wealth. It's all about pleasure. It's all about having things. It's all about living it up. When we should be concerned about the enemy at the door, the enemy at the gate, the judgment day that's about to come. You know, I was thinking about this virus in relation to all this, and I, you know, think about this. One virus comes along and it shakes up our party in America. And the majority of people only care about getting back to our cozy, comfortable lives. And very few people are talking about turning to God, repenting of our sin, where we've been as a nation. You know, perhaps if we look back at America and where we've been and really much of the world as well, we're too at ease. We're just living at ease. Amos chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Woe to them who are at ease in Zion. Woe to them who are at ease in Zion. Or here is Ezekiel the prophet. Look at this, 9-9. Then he said unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah. Let's just put America in there just for a minute. The iniquity of the house of America. Is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the and the city is full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath hath forsaken the earth. The Lord seeth not. God's not seeing what we're doing. This morning I was in my own devotions reading Psalm 10. Oh, they, he was talking about just that that blindness, the people just thinking, God's not watching. God's not seeing what we're doing. God has done nothing. I haven't seen him. And that is exactly where Belshazzar was. He's living in this, my walls are my security. There's no problem. I'm just going to have a party and live it up. And this is a common mindset. God doesn't care. He isn't watching. If there even is a God at all. And if you read scripture, all you can see is that God will only put up with that for so long. There is a judgment day coming. There is a judgment day coming. There just is. But it goes further. The problem here is that Belshazzar is not just living it up. In arrogance, he's also mocking the one true God. Look at verse 2. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, 
commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine, it says, and praised the gods of gold and silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. So Belshazzar, grandson to King Nebuchadnezzar, requests that the vessels that were brought, that his grandpa brought from Jerusalem out of the temple, those holy vessels, he says, bring those babies in here. As a grandson, he probably grew up seeing those vessels uh, displayed somewhere. And they, but Nebuchadnezzar at least had some kind of respect for those things and put them away and never used them. But this young man says, ah, bring those babies out. We're going we're gonna to fill, fill them up and drink. That's what he, exact, he puts alcohol in these holy vessels and allows everybody to drink up in this huge wicked party. Now, why would he choose those particular vessels? It's a blatant defiance against Jehovah God, the God of the Jews. You're going to disrespect God's stuff, you're disrespecting Him. You know, someone has said contempt for God's stuff is contempt for God. You know, if, if I came to my office one day, I walked in and all of my stuff was sitting outside, <laughs> I would get the picture really quick what has taken place here. I understand. It's not just my stuff that's out, it's me that's out. And that's exactly what was happening right here. If you're going to disrespect God's stuff, you're saying, I have no need for God. He is weak. He is nothing to me. And I'll just pour alcohol in his vessels and drink up and get drunk. Belshazzar knew better. He grew up hearing about this God of heaven. He grew up hearing about the God Jehovah. I think he knew it very well. I personally believe Nebuchadnezzar got saved. As a young man, he knew his family history. He knew the stories of the God of the Jews. He, his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, was a transformed man. We talked about that last week. He was turned into, you know, his mind he went insane until he acknowledged his belief in God. And God brought him out of that. So Belshazzar knew better than, than to do this and mess with this God. But let me just remind us, Belshazzar had the attitude of many people growing up. Gone with the old, in with the new. You know, the new guard is here. We don't need granddaddy's God. Um, you know, Belshazzar looked at his walls as his God and to protect him. Who needs Jehovah? So anyway, what we see here is a love of sensual pleasure. And we see him trampling on the spiritual lessons of his youth that he had gotten from his grandfather and his father in the previous generation. You put those two together, you have a recipe for judgment. You have a recipe for disaster. And that is exactly what we see all around us so often. But now God's going to deal with this, and he's going to deal with it swiftly here. We're going to see the handwriting on the wall. That's where this came from. Verse 5. In the same hour, all this huge drunken parties going on, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. <laughs> Whose hand was this? Somebody said, this is the same hand that rode in the dirt <laughs> so many years later. But as I mentioned, uh, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, I had a, 
I had a weird dream years ago about pincushions. But, um, <laughs> but this dream right here, seeing a floating hand just writing on the wall, this one might have just made me permanently messed up in the head. <laughs> this, the, there was no video projection back then. This was a man's hand floating and writing a message on a wall. And by God's grace, I personally have never been drunk. Thank the Lord. That's not my major battle with the devil. But some of you have been drunk, (laughs) I'm sure. And even in that state, if you would have saw this, I bet you you would have sobered up really quick. (laughs) And and that's exactly what happens. This, This is a party stopper, a hand floating. Imagine, I imagine when I was reading this, I kind of imagined the saloon, you know, the piano players playing and then the hand starts writing and all of a sudden the music stops and everybody stops. And there's the hand writing on the wall, writing something and everybody sees it. Belshazzar just about loses it. Verse six, look how it's described. Then the king's countenance was changed. His, His face changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed. (laughs) and his knees smote one against another. Listen, this guy was about to faint. He was about to go down. He, he, his face went pale. His body almost, his lower half almost gave out. His knees were knocking. And in these kinds of moments, in these kinds of moments, where do people turn? When fright just takes hold of them and there's something in front of them they can't explain and everything, nothing else matters. Where do they turn? They turn to religion. No one's an atheist in a foxhole. You know, pleasure and wealth mean nothing when you, they lose all importance when you see when something shakes your life up like that. I need answers. Belshazzar is thinking in his mind, so Belshazzar turns to his religion. Verse 7, then the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Remember, interesting, the third ruler. Why did he choose number three? Again, because he and his dad are co-regent. And number three, I'll make them number three. Verse eight, then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Here we go again. Nebuchadnezzar tried this. This is the third time. And he tried. And so Belshazzar calls these losers in, and it never works. It never works. Again, God is showing everybody, and he's putting it out there in the book of Daniel, so clear and plain as day. You cannot, if every time you go to the world's religions, they're not, it's not going to work. Every time you go to the world's wisest men out there, it's not going to work. Not, they do not have the answers that satisfy the human soul. And I just want to mention this in passing. This is just an observation and something that's just burdened my heart for a while. When America needs answers, when America's looking for you know, the strange things inside man's mind and inside man's heart, America seems to rush and they're obsessed with running to, seems in particular psychologists and psychiatrists, to give them an answer. To interpret the problem inside man's head. And maybe there is a measure of help sometimes. But my observation is, and especially about psychology, is this. 
that they are usually pretty good at identifying a problem and even labeling it. They are super good at giving a problem a name. There's names for everything. But here's my question. Where are the actual cures? I just don't see many cures. I don't see the cure. They can look, on the, they can look at the letters on the wall. They see the handwriting on the wall. They know there's a problem. But they just don't have the interpretation that unlocks the real eternal answer for the human soul. And as a person who's talked to many people and heard countless life stories like you have, I can say this. The people who have 100%, they 100% sell out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They give every bit of themselves to it. Those are transformed people. Those are transformed people inside and outside. And we can see it. And it transforms every part of them. God says this in the book of Romans. It is, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's a complete salvation of a person. It is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. Anyone. So back into the story here. Verse 9. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Nobody could give him the answer. Religion had failed him. The wisdom of the world had failed him. So who is going to help him now? Mom. <laughs> Mom! You can always count on mom to show up when you need her. And that's what happens. The queen mother walks in. This is now the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 10. Now the queen, this queen mother, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man. In thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, (laughs) made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Now look at how, next verse, and how she describes Daniel further. For as much as an excellent spirit, and knowledge, and understanding, or intelligence, and interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. This mother, <laughs> this mother knew Daniel. She could have been similar to the same age as Daniel. She... Uh, she probably heard all the stories of Daniel. She heard her dad tell all that Daniel had done. Daniel had a high rank in Babylon. She knew. She knew. And in some ways, this mother represents a soul winner who points people to the answer, who points people to Jesus. It's a suggestion. Listen, Daniel has the answer, and it's what we do when we hand somebody a gospel tract. Jesus has the answer. Jesus has the answer for you. Or somebody who gives their testimony and just points to Jesus. Just go to Him. He has the answer. He'll tell you. As the the woman at the well, there is a man who told me everything about myself. Go see the man. Belshazzar also knew the name Daniel. He certainly knew his influence on Babylon. He already knew. 
But he had all, I think Belshazzar personally had just always kept Daniel at an arm's length. He didn't want that. That's not, that was not in Belshazzar to desire that. But now it's time for his own encounter with this man, man of God. Verse 13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, <laughs> whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? Uh, look how he puts Daniel down a bit. Are you the conquered Jewish slave? Are you that Daniel? The one my grandfather uh, conquered and brought over here? <laughs> he puts him down, but he needed this Jewish slave, didn't he? He sure needed him. Rem- reminds us, though, of the poor Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. He's marginalized. People push him to the side, but everybody needs that carpenter. Everybody. Belshazzar continues talking here. And I... I have even heard of thee. You see, he knew Daniel before his mother had ever even said anything. I have heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee and the light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Verse 15, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me and they, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Verse 16, And I have heard thee that thou canst make interpretation and dissolve doubts. I love that. Now, if thou canst read the writings and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself. Give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. So here's Daniel, a man in his 70s or 80s, wise, in tune with the Lord. He rejects those rewards and says, I'll still give the interpretation for you. (laughs) I kind of think he had a desire to give it this time. I don't think he cared for Belshazzar too much. That's just my opinion. But before he gives the meaning of the words on the wall, he's going to give a a sermon straight to him. Daniel's going to explain to old Belly here why God, why God, not just what those words are, but why God has sent this floating hand. The king didn't ask for the why. (laughs) Just tell me what. But Daniel's going to give him the why anyway because he needs to hear it. Sounds like going to a good church, right? (laughs) You just go and just kind of try to worship the Lord, listen to a nice little sermon, and then then some guy stands up there and there's just Holy Spirit just starts sending conviction in a sermon that you needed to hear and I needed to hear. That's a good that's a good that's a good church. And I've been actually thinking about that with parenting classes, too. It happens there as well. You, we go to these parenting classes often, or Wednesday nights or whatever around here, and you think, I'm going to get my kids in line. But the whole time, it's just like getting the parents in line. It's just, this is not fair. Or the marriage classes, you know, I always go into those hoping that Elena will learn something. And, and you know, and then I get bashed the whole time. So here's, the, here's Daniel's sermon to King Belshazzar. And, and notice there isn't, like, you know, Again, Belshazzar, but when he was giving the sermon to Nebuchadnezzar, he had that one-hour delay, it says in there. For one hour, he wrestled in his heart, ha- having to give this interpretation. He didn't want to give it to his friend, Nebuchadnezzar. But this time, there's no one-hour delay. <laughs> he lays right in, and that's just conjecture. But anyway, verse 18. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, a majesty, and glory and honor. Verse 19, and for the majesty that he gave him, 
All people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like beasts and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him like, or with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and then he appointeth it over whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Verse 23, But thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, Hast thou not glorified? Daniel lays it on him thick. Though you knew the story of your grandfather very well, you knew everything. You ignored all of that and you lifted up your heart in pride. He may have had pride, Nebuchadnezzar, but he eventually humbled himself. Nebuchadnezzar may have taken the vessels of the house of the Lord, but he he did not show dishonor to them. But you, sir, you showed tremendous dishonor using them at this drunken party. You've given your praise to gods that cannot see and and hear, and you've rejected the one true God. Belshazzar, America, you knew all of this, and and once you you have had a chance to humble yourself, but you have not. You had knowledge. You had knowledge, but you had no heart of humility. And remember, this is for all of us, knowledge alone means nothing. Going to church as a child and learning Bible stories does not make you a born-again Christian. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. And after saying all of this, Daniel, he's going to lay out the interpretation of the dream. Verse 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him. Daniel saying, That's why God sent this hand. And this writing was written, verse 25, and this is the writing that was written. Meeny, meeny, tekel, a parson. Okay, a few things here. In Aramaic, the writing goes from right to left, kind of like in Hebrew. And there are no vowels in this writing, actually in the original. There were no vowels. It was just consonants. So here's actually what it would look like, uh, (laughs) the handwriting on the wall. From right to left, something like this. Or... Maybe it was in a square uh, or in a circle. Who, who knows exactly? The Bible doesn't give us all that. There's a picture here that there's, maybe it was in a square like that. This is the famous painting by Rembrandt. But even if the wise men could read the words that were on the wall, they would still have a hard time deciphering the spiritual meaning and what God was intending to say by those words. Because the words... Mini, which means, which could mean mina, which is a measure of money. And then tekel, which, which could mean also shekel, another unit of money, or the word weighed. And then a parson could mean half shekel or divided. So the whole thing was just very mysterious. It's like this accounting term up on the wall, you know. Is this tax day? You know, what is this? Why, why is this thing on the wall? Everybody's confused. 
And if you're just looking at it humanly speaking, it, it, just, it just makes no sense. But really, in this whole accounting jargon, uh, that's exactly what God was doing. There was an accounting taking place of Belshazzar. God had taken account of him, and that's what we're going to see in the interpretation, verse 26. Daniel says, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. 27, Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting or lacking. And Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So there it is. God has miraculously given Daniel the interpretation of this thing. Nobody else could have done it. The point is, God is done with your kingdom, Belshazzar. You've been weighed and found lacking. Your kingdom is going to be divided and it's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians who at that very moment were outside the wall. Remember that they are outside the gate. So sometimes God gives warnings and waits a while like he did for Nebuchadnezzar. Last week we talked about that. He gave Nebuchadnezzar the warning and then waited one year before he sent down the judgment. He allowed a year for Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself. But sometimes when God gives a warning, he will give it and it will be immediately before the final judgment. There are times that God's warnings are final. And judgment is coming no matter what. This was going to happen quickly. Verse 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel had already told him, I don't want your gifts. I don't want the rewards. But he just stood there and let him do all that. Because the whole thing was about to be over in just a few hours. <laughs> And it really meant absolutely nothing. And he knew that. Verse 30. In that night, in that night, was Belshazzar, the king of Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Medan took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So in that night, judgment fell. The Medes and the Persians found a way into the city. And they killed Belshazzar. History tells us that what they had done is they diverted a canal that ran through the city, the Euphrates River Canal. They diverted it to a different area so that all the armies could come under the walls. And they came in under, in the riverbed and killed Belshazzar. This day, interestingly, was, was predicted by Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the prophet, told them that it would be, I think, chapter 27, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, his son and his son's son, Babylon will fall, basically. So here it is, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar put all his trust in those mighty walls. He put all his trust in the things that he could see, this thing that surrounded the city. And yet when the time of judgment came, God dealt with it quickly. Here's my question for us. Why do we think that God would deal any differently with America than he has with those in the past? Why would God judge their pride and ignore ours? You know, this day we live in, people are worshiping the gods of money, the gods of pleasure, the gods of knowledge. We're living in a party while judgment's right at the door. And I think as Christians, we need to never lose sight of that. I think we need to enjoy the life that God has given us. I think we need to enjoy the mercies of God each day. But always in the back of our mind, and when we deal with people, when we talk with people, we need to have a, a weight that's inside of us, a burden because of the judgment of God on people. 
because of the judgment of God coming in this, in this earth. We need to live for eternity more and less for the here and now. And giving people the only thing that can transform their life. This world has, do, does not have the answers. The world's wise men do not have the answers. They, they still don't. But God does. Father, we thank you.